0: Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host Meg Forer is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host.
1: Hi, mums and dads, and welcome back to this week's Sense by Meg Fora. I'm super excited to be here with you, sharing the information that I have in my head with a real-life mom. We sometimes have experts join us, and sometimes we have experts who are real mums, And that's what we've got today because, Cass, you've been alongside us for a very long journey now. Right from birth, we spoke to Cass in our first episode just the week that Max was born. And if any of you haven't listened to that episode and are due to have a baby, even if it's your first or second baby, go and listen to it. It's all about that transition to early motherhood. And we have tracked Max's journey all the way through. And today we welcome back Cass. So welcome, Cass. Thank
2: you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it seems like yesterday we were recording that first one, but then it also seems like forever ago. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. And how old is our big boy? He's te- He was 10 months last week. Yeah. Can you believe it? That is just completely unbelievable.
2: I know. And he really does look like a little boy now. There's nothing baby really in my eyes about him to other people. I think he still looks like a baby, but he just has changed so much.
1: Yeah. And it's, but it's such a funny thing because you'll feel like he's so big and so grown up and then suddenly you'll have another baby and you'll realize, my gosh, you know, he, he really was a baby when you were thinking he was so grown up, you yeah. know, you know <laughs> when, when you look back. So, but they do grow quickly. So what is this week or this month? In fact, I think it's been a couple of weeks since we last mm. chatted. What has this month held for you? Well, I
2: think a few weeks ago we did an episode where I referred to it as the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think that's just an ongoing theme really. <laughs> I think that's parenthood. (laughs) It is. Yeah, I mean, in terms of from his developmental side of things, he's standing now, he pulls himself up or will use something to kind of balance him, but then he stands by himself without holding on to anything. Wow. And he'll walk with something. But even when I'm sort of doing, I call it the finger walking, which is heartbreaking, I can't wait for that to be over. But I've noticed his grip is getting... Listen, Yes, yeah, so I do think in the next sort of couple of weeks he might just be standing and then go
1: <laughs> and go. But Cass, you know, you've done an incredible job of keeping him going with the crawling because I mean he was eight and a half months when we spoke, and I was starting to get concerned that he was actually going to walk at that time. Mm. And I know that you made it a priority to make sure that he didn't have too much opportunity to practice his walking. You're not going to be able to hold him back from it forever. He's definitely no. going to do it to the next month, I'm sure. But getting him close to eleven months before he walks is just absolutely spot on yeah he was
2: keen and we we did pull back but the the one thing we sort of let continue was the cruising and that sort of thing but in terms of him pushing something and walking but now he just he'll go and he goes at at speed he's you can see he climbs a full flight of stairs without any help I mean obviously I'm I'm right there (laughs) but I'm not helping him at all you know and that that's really strengthening those legs as well and he does that at pace as well if he could just go up the stairs (laughs) constantly (laughs) can he
1: can he come back down
2: yes no we're working on that he He's very good. We've actually just put stair gates in, but he Mm. is very good at, he understands the word no. So Mm -hmm. as he was getting close to sort of the top of the stairs or something, he knew he had to stop. And then I'd turn him around. And I think we'd spoken about it before. And that's all I really am doing is just every Mm. time he gets to a step, I turn him around Mm. Mm. and I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I turn him, (laughs) sometimes I turn him around and then he'll sort of go down one step and then go to sit down backwards and I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that you've got to wait till you get to the bottom so sometimes it's a bit sort of how do you communicate that
1: yeah so you brought up two things that actually really are interesting for me the one is childproofing the home mm. so take us through what you've done to actually childproof your home and and let's talk about those hazards that we actually sometimes don't even realize are there
2: Yeah, it's funny, a friend of mine who's actually been on this podcast previously, she's just moved into a new house and I said to her, don't put your sitting room furniture out how you think it looks nice, do it how it baby proofs the place (laughs) because we've rearranged our whole downstairs downstairs pretty much to look at furniture that if he's pulling up on it, is it sturdy, you know, will it, Mm -hmm. it won't topple down yeah furniture also that we don't really want him putting his sticky fingers all over and things like that but in terms of proper baby proofing we have a marble fireplace that's got mm-hmm. cushions all around it and we move the sofa to block as much of that as possible we've got those and um, things in the plug sockets and all sockets at a ground level unless we are using it are turned off mm-hmm. even with the plastic things in them all switches mm-hmm. are off Mm-hmm. Also, I did pass one the other day, and it was on, and I realised he had <laughs> probably <Yes. done, laughs> turned stuff on, which I thought was concerning. We we have the stair gates. All the cupboards have locks on them as well now in the kitchen. And I was quite relaxed about him going into some of the cupboards. I'd moved sort of, you know, the washing tablets and that sort of thing to higher cupboards. But there was one cupboard that had stuff in it. I just didn't have anywhere else to put it. And that, of course, was his favourite cupboard because that's the cupboard I always said no to. <laughs> so, and he, he's he got a bit of a habit. It's annoyingly cute, but he likes being praised when he does not do the thing that you're saying no to but that means that he'll quite often go to do it and look at you so that you're wait for you to say no yeah and that so he's not actually doing it but he's waiting for you to say no and then he'll be really like oh I'm so good <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's very precious and of course that is such a foundation for positive discipline because all that positive reinforcement I mean later on when he's a toddler, I'm sure we'll be still connecting at that point now and then. And we will be talking about positive boundaries. And one of the things with positive boundaries is that when you do a boundary, try and find as many opportunities to praise because that's mm-hmm. actually all little ones want ultimately. So that's perfect that he's, he's latched onto that.
2: Yeah. What is tricky in terms of the babe proofing is things that I didn't, really see as too much of an issue as he's got older they have I've realized oh for, so for example he would pull himself up on the table that had the tv on it but he didn't do anything he liked his reflection in the tv and that was about it but now he's getting older and he might have a toy in his hand and he was hitting the tv oh, <laughs> with a toy gosh. but yeah. I suddenly realized this is quite confusing for him because I didn't have the foresight to mm-hmm. see he might put his fist through the TV and so he was allowed to do it and now I'm saying no. And so mm. I sort of tried to be very understanding of the fact that that's confusing for him and finding where those boundaries are. I don't want to mm. say no for the sake of saying no as well. Mm. I've got to be very careful. He doesn't just become kind of immune to the word.
1: Mm. Mm. So I'm
2: really trying to weigh up the safety side of things mm. versus that I just don't really mm. Want to have to get
1: up? (laughs) It's so interesting because in my positive boundaries talk, which by the way, for mums who are listening, if you do want to listen to the positive boundaries talk, it's actually um, loaded into the app as a course. So if you go into the app, into the Parent Sense app, in the courses section, you'll find the positive boundaries workshop there. But in that workshop, and 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 in that course, I talk about the fact that you've got to pick your boundaries. And there's a great quote that actually goes alongside that that says, you know, you've got to pick your boundaries because if you pick them all. You'll be too exhausted to keep the ones that really matter, and and that's what mothering is all about. Because we get to four o'clock in the afternoon, or we get to a long weekend where we're just you know where we're just exhausted, and we just just keep giving in because we can't actually chase down everything. So picking those boundaries are is exceptionally exceptionally important, and the boundaries that should be picked are the health and safety boundaries. So anything that is going to hurt him, hurt somebody else or hurt an item of property does need to be a health and boundary. And for the rest, you need to let it go. Now, because you and I have been talking about baby proofing the house, all of them are actually boundaries that do need to be reinforced because these are all our health and safety boundaries. So these are the ones that we need to stick with. The one that does strike me is, you know, is it possible in your kitchen to have the cupboard that he can access being something with Tupperware in it, you know, and our plastics?
2: Yeah. So there is a cupboard that he can still, and he does open and close and there's upstairs as well. So this, and there's one cupboard as well that I've actually left open, but I use the term no. So he can still open it, but Mm. I'm still trying to kind of also understand that it's not just a case of one day I'll take off the locks and you can go crazy. <laughs> I don't know if that would happen, but we don't really... The trouble is, is because most of our cupboards are actually all on the ground and there's not a huge amount of storage. Most cupboards have a mix of everything in yeah, rather yeah. than just yeah. one. But I So I could... And it's little things like one cupboard has lots of plastic things in it but then it's also got the mixers in which have blades (laughs) Ah, Um, I just don't know where I could put it there's not much storage at all but I could I can look at it to try and give Mm. him a cupboard I was also thinking about because it's his birthday coming up in obviously eight weeks. And I was thinking about getting him a mini kitchen so that he has his own cupboards. His own pans.
1: Yeah. Of course they will always go for the real thing, not the toy. I mean you do know that. So Yeah and actually (laughs) that is the cupboard that I
2: could open is the one Mm. with the pans in. Mm. Because Mm -hmm. which is great that's the that's the one yeah yeah, it's loud and it would be noisy but that doesn't matter
1: yeah so if you can find one place where you don't have to say no it probably would be a good idea and that goes for almost anything you know like you know when parents and you know for instance wanting your little one to always look gorgeous when they go out particularly when they can start to choose their clothes and then they want to wear their pajamas out you know that's the type of health and safety thing where it doesn't actually Mm. matter if they wear their pajamas out so try and choose things where you just can give them um, autonomy as much as possible. Obviously on these things, and and I I mean, I've been writing down the list of you as you've been saying them because I think that they are just so important. And I'd like to just go through them in a bit more detail. So the plug socket one is a really interesting one. So obviously because you're in the UK. And so the UK plugs actually quite narrow and a baby would battle to actually fit their finger into a UK plug hole. But because they can stick other things into the UK plug hole, they have to be covered. In South Africa, where many of our listeners are, the plug holes are well, well big enough for them to stick their hole, their fingers into. I mean, really, they are. Mm-hmm. And they're round. And so it is imperative that plug holes are covered. And I loved your advice on actually turning off the plug sockets. That's also a brilliant idea. The stair gates are also important for exactly the reason that, that you've given that, you know, he 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 wants to, he keeps wanting to, you know, come up and down them. One that you didn't mention that is critically important is water. And I'm sure you've got it covered and just hadn't mentioned it. Water is very, very important. In fact, in my first job out of university, I worked in a pediatric rehab facility in New York. One of the most disabled and devastatingly disabled children that I saw when I was working that year was a child who at four years old, had fallen into a swimming pool and drowned or had a near drowning experience and now was still palsied. And it was just, Really, really, he was very, very badly contracted and had cerebral palsy. So for me, I'm I'm obsessed with water safety, absolutely obsessed with water safety. And that means latching your toilets closed because first of all, it's disgusting because they will put their hands in Mm -hmm. it. But second of all, they're top heavy and they can actually fall into a toilet upside down. But also any water outside and that goes for swimming pools, duck ponds but then also actually and fish ponds obviously but actually also that that kind of bucket that you put under your tap to catch all of the water and you know if you've got water restrictions or just a puddle of water that you don't even think about you know just a place where water collects you we need to be really really careful because first of all they're drawn to water and secondly children can drown in just a a, literally an inch or so of water but I'm sure you've probably already looked at that in your home. The loos we have not not necessarily Mm -hmm. I didn't
2: really have in mind the idea of him falling into it but it was actually because he does we saw Him once, like, go to put his hand in. I thought That is
1: just disgusting. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So the the loos are done, but we don't have any water around us. Obviously, in the heat, he's got a paddling pool that's never really that full. We're always there with him and we empty it, you know, at the end of every day. So it's not there unless we are there with him and then we'll fill it up Mm. again and then it gets perfect.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what's needed. And then the other thing that I thought I would mention, which a lot of people don't think about are cords. So first for two types of cords, one is lamps on tables and the cords, cause that can be pulled down onto them and I can see by your expression which not everybody can see that this is something that is a challenge for Max.
2: He loves an electric wire. Oh my word. Absolutely loves it so, and that is part of the rearranging of the sitting room is all tables that have lamps on are now behind chairs and so, but he can't get to them. There's no, and wires, we've got the fire guard and cushions and stool. And I mean, I know listeners can't see, but there's a long line of (laughs) barriers (laughs) because there's a wire running along that wall. Yeah. So yeah, and he, we have to keep a really close eye on him because he just, he finds them really fun to play with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that is part of the problem. And then the other one on the subject of cords, which is one that I had never thought of, is blind cords. So so oh. your your Venetian blinds or your roller blinds or any blinds on windows, those cords. Now, those cords, if they're loose all the way to the end, are actually a strangulation risk. Mm-hmm. and strangulation is what you need to do mums and dads is you need to plait the end of it for the as far as it'll go all the way to wh- when to, to when the blind is fully open so when that when your blind is sorry when your blind is fully closed so let down you'll see that your cord is obviously pulled up as high as it can go up against you know th- through the eyes at the top and you need to plait your cord to all the way to that point to prevent strangulation and and make sure that, that when the blinds are open in other words when the cord is long they can't actually get that around their neck so that's another one that's really important
2: we've got one of those loop blind cords so they're yeah. so I don't know how you couldn't clap that because you they're, they're sort yeah. of going round and round and round correct how so those you-
1: ones are so those ones are less of an issue because they'll break usually with, oh, okay. with a child's weight on them. But I would just have a look at it. You know, normally normally they would, if, if a child got it on their neck and pulled it, they, they would break. But I would certainly, if they, if it wouldn't break, like for instance, if it had one of those str- uh, nylon strings inside of it instead of plastic, then you would want to maybe just make sure that that's hitched up as well.
2: The only one he could reach is actually on, on the floor. It's a floor level window.
1: Mm, yeah. So just have a look at that one. And then the other one, which is quite interesting that people often also don't think about is railings of any sort. So whether it is balustrades around a a swimming pool or or around a balcony or up a a set of stairs, should be, and and almost none of them are actually this um, distance apart, but shouldn't be more than a Coke can in diameter apart. So if you took a Coke can and you shoved it through on its side, it shouldn't be able to get through between two of the of the railings. So that's the that's the classic test you should look for both for cut railings as well as for you know swimming pool fences and so on because little ones can squeeze through. Mm, we've got our railings actually turn a corner,
2: and I am always so paranoid about where it turns. Yes, it just looks that's that bit wider. wider. And mm-hmm. if he hears someone downstairs, you know, he initially wanted to go and look down yeah. and I just had the first time he sort of crawled towards mm. it immediately my in fact yeah. I in my mind the gap was wider than it actually was when I realized but I just had this vision of him going through and through. Thought, uh, exactly.
1: it gave me the so have deep. you have you connected it or, or is it a can distance
2: well at the moment we so at the moment we've only just put in the stair gate and it's still I wanted to see if we could put it so that it blocked that too but we there. can't mm. so I'm gonna have to come up with a yeah path.
1: So then you'll just get some uh, some of that nylon kind of fish pond cover nets or, mm. or, or, or some sort of netting to go around that. You know, you, you get that for gardens and so on. And then you've yeah. just got to, unfortunately, it looks terrible. I mean, these are the things that we do that don't make our house look terribly beautiful, but that keep our little ones safe.
2: Absolutely. Well, that and that's mm. exactly it. It's not about how you want it to look. It's about what's going <laughs> to make it, make it yeah. safe. And it's it's difficult to get that balance because, again, you know, I was talking to somebody who knew a mum who just follows their baby everywhere and mm. is very sort of paranoid and worried mm. all the time and doesn't even actually leave the baby's a month older mm. than Max doesn't actually leave the room when the baby's asleep in the day wow And
1: high anxiety
2: yeah and you know and it's getting that balance of not over protecting them we were at a party on the weekend and people actually I don't don't think they were saying in a positive way but they were saying to me gosh he's going to have a strong immune system isn't he because he was just crawling on the floor in Mm. a courtyard he wasn't putting anything in his mouth but it Mm. was a dirty floor Mm. but I thought I can't hold him for six hours in my arms and
1: not let him play and you know in fact that's actually and it's such a lovely point that you brought up because it's one of the things that in positive parenting that we actually do need to let our little ones take risks and we need to calculate those risks for them. So for instance, actually crawling around in a dirty courtyard or on a dirty floor is actually really good for their immunity. It really is because the microbes that they pick up from there will help their immunity to develop. So there's nothing wrong with that. Eating poo from a dog, for instance, is obviously clearly not a good idea. So, you know, there are, you you, you need to be sensible with, with what sort of microbes you're exposing them to, but certainly germs in a normal situation, including on a, in a playground, are absolutely fine. There's evidence that little ones need to walk around barefoot, you know, and I think, particularly in, in the kind of global West and certainly in America, you know, there's this obsession with children wearing shoes. And obviously, I'm from Africa and in Africa, we just don't have that obsession. Our children walk around barefoot. And in fact, many of my kids used to go to um, nursery school completely barefoot, even though it was school. And so walking around barefoot is also important. In fact, a funny story was when we when we went to America, we went on a around-the-world trip when our kids were two and four years old. And we went to America and we arrived at a shopping center near New York and we all piled out of the car. We were staying with, with my friend Bev and we piled out of Bev's car. And she took one look at James, who was four years old. And she said, Meg, he's not going to be allowed into the shopping center. He's barefoot. And I was like, why? Yeah. You can go to shopping center barefoot. I don't mind. And she said, yes, you might not mind. But it's legislation. It's law here. And it was because of the escalators and the risk of toes right. on escalators. So I mean, you can understand it. But I do think the obsession with cleanliness and sterility and that that level of safety for children can be taken too far and the kids actually just do actually need to muck down get dirty and get themselves really mucky and and get involved i'm quite pleased to say that because i he
2: max doesn't wear shoes at all he's always better i mean by the end of the day max looks like a complete rug rat because he's crawling his knees are black his the top of his feet are black. <laughs> like he yeah. looks like such a rug rat. But yeah. I did sort of think when we went through we in London this weekend with him at this party, and I did think, oh, should I get some shoes to put on him? Because, you yeah. know, it, it looks a bit like we've not really finished dressing him. But I've also heard, you know, you've got to be very specific with the type of shoe you get yeah. because their feet are still developing and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And I just thought I'd rather he was... It's also quite hot and muggy at the mm, moment, mm, so mm, you know I don't want to be mm. putting him in shoes. So I sort of decided not to, but I then thought, well, I said to my husband on the weekend, maybe I should take him to go and have his shoes, his feet mm. measured, because I'm not mm. sure this is right for him yeah. to be having his yeah. black feet yeah.
0: covered in muck by yeah. the end of every day. This episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting.
1: The shoes that I like Are are those soft sole shoes They're they're not hard sole shoes For this age They're not quite booties And you know Kind of socks But they are a little bit You know They they, they usually have Soft leather leather soles There's a great brand In South Africa That I used to Actually used to live Next door to the guy Who started it It was called Shoe Shoes And I know we have them In the UK here as well And they're just really Soft sole shoes So not real shoes That would be what You're looking for Those those kind of soft Mm. leather Almost like leather pumps That are just soft All the way around And that's what You want to look for But it certainly is Important for children To take risks And it's not just in germs. It's in other things as well. And, you know, my co-founder of PlaySense, Laura Schoenfeldt, is just an incredible mother. I mean, she was one of those earth mothers who, she did elimination communication with her babies, which means that they never wore nappies. She potty trained them from the day they were born. So she's actually done one poo and one wee in a (laughs) potty. And he's under a year. That's incredible. Good old Max. We do need to move on to that as well. But I mean, Lara's a super in tune mom. Yeah. I mean, she's incredible. And by the way, if any of you don't know about elimination communication, there's a course going into the app on it. And it is, there's also a podcast on it, which you can mm. listen to, which has been released. So I go and listen that to that. Yeah. So what I was saying was Lara is like this incredibly in touch mom. And yet, from a very little age, when I think the little ones were like three or four years old, they had pen knives, you know, those Swiss army knives. And they're freaking sharp. And I would be like, oh my gosh, you're not actually giving your child a knife, are you? And she, I mean, I think she, she, you know, they were blunt and and she watched them and she gave them blunt knives to cut tomatoes in the kitchen. But her attitude was, and it's been, actually part of the ethos and play sense whereby we don't dumb things down for children is that you need to scaffold them you need to be there right next to them you don't leave them alone with a knife but you need to give them the opportunity to learn with you there and and i yeah. guess that's what it's all about and it's also actually
2: i've learned it's been really important for me to see him fall over and to get myself used to it so i don't mm. overreact you know so mm. often mm. their reaction is a direct point they sort of look at you and if you're Oh dear! Stand up. Hope you get this. oh, it's okay. But the first couple of times when it's your baby, you do think, oh my gosh! And so it's it's not only a training. I Mm. felt it's not only been a Mm. training for Max to get a bit Mm. more savvy. It's also been for me to learn to give him the best reaction because Mm. he does get over. I mean, yesterday he took a tumble and hit his head, and I I couldn't help myself because it looked like a bad one. And he started crying. But as soon as I changed the way that, and Alex was there too, as soon as we sort of went, oh, look, your bath running. He started laughing and he was actually fine. But it was, I think Mm. my reaction had led him to think, oh, this was bad. I should cry.
1: Mm. And so often Mm. you
2: can also see it's not that it hurt. It's more the shock of I was up and now I'm down. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They do reference everything off us. And, you know, I think that's For our anxious mums who are listening, and you know, certainly, I mean, I I was more anxious with James than with my other two, obviously, firstborn child. So I do understand anxiety, but I didn't suffer from an anxiety disorder. But for our mums who suffer from anxiety disorders... There is a lesson in that. And that is that, you know, even when it's feeling horrific inside of you and your stomach's in a knot, and, you know, like your friend who doesn't leave her little one to sleep on their own during the day, you know, that, that's that's a, a symptom of very, very high anxiety around cot and around sits because you wouldn't otherwise be sitting with your baby during the day. And first of all, if you're experiencing that level of anxiety, you do need to find out why, because there will definitely be somebody, something underlying that in your fear of loss. It will be a mother's. Whether she's had multiple miscarriages, whether she has had a termination of pregnancy that's unresolved, whether she has lost a parent at a critical time in her parenting journey, those are all types of things that are psychological crisis points that can actually create this kind of almost PTSD around separation. And that needs to be looked at and then the second thing is you might be feeling it but try and keep it from your child because you know there is something around you mm-hmm. know fake it until you make it you know you've just got to and, and that's parenting like you know there are going to be times even in adolescence where you, you're actually anxious as a parent and you've just got to be brave and tell your child they're okay you're going you're gonna to give them wings they're going to be fine and then just support them through the process so mm-hmm. yeah so we've spoken a lot about safety and a little bit about anxiety but you didn't get down to all of your list I'm <laughs> sure you've got it on the good bad and <laughs> night because we haven't spoken for a month so Caswell What else has been happening? Yeah, so there's been...
2: The other other sort of really great thing is we are starting to have moments where we see he's got a great sense of humour and we're all really laughing together. And that's been really fun. There was a moment when we were away he was in our room in the hotel and he woke up in the morning and was peering over the top of the cot, just staring at us in bed. And I turned over and got, caught his eye <laughs> and I tapped Alex and Alex turned and caught his eye. And the three of us just burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it. And it was just such a nice moment. Yeah.
0: And so, he, and
2: he just has this look where he's, you know, he's looking at you thinking this is funny. So his, his humour and his personality are really developing. He's waving Interestingly, he'll happily wave hello, but he doesn't like waving goodbye, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm telling myself is just really sweet. And he's clapping now as well. It's a bit sort of hit miss, but he's clapping and, and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of that development happening. And it's a really exciting time. But I did have one of the questions kind of around safety is around in his cot, because obviously we've spoken before about this sterile environment in a cot. But I wondered when we could introduce him having a couple of toys in the cot so that when he wakes up in the morning, you know, he loves to read. Well, obviously not read, but he loves to open a book and stare at it. So I wondered, you know, when when do you, is it safe? I know the sort of risk is up until one year in terms of SIDS, but that well obviously i'm sure it goes beyond that but kind of the guidance says particularly 6 months and then kind of in the first year but what is the sort of recommendation around them being able to have some toys in the cot
1: yeah so it's a great question i mean it is it is around safety and the risk of sids drops off exponentially as you as you approach a year so it really is reduced significantly now I still wouldn't be having a duvet or a pillow in the cot. And I noticed you use the word sterile just now, which is exactly the word that I use with cots. But I want to just clarify for people that in the context of the germs we were talking about just now, this is not sterile for germs. This is sterile for stimulation. So we like to keep cots as stimulation-free as possible. So no toys, no mobiles. And so Cass, what I what I gather you're speaking about when you want to introduce things, it's probably toys and and kind of little doo blankies and and lovies. And is that the type of thing that you're thinking?
2: Yeah, he has his comforter, which is the only thing and his dummies, those are the only things in the cot. He's in the sleeping bag. But I hear I've heard a few people talking about, you know, they have a, their child has a few Toys in the cot so that when they wake up in the morning, they kind of have a bit of a play. So whether that's a book or some teddy bears or something like that, yeah. and I just didn't know when if, yeah. if that was possible and when that was possible.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about two different things here. The one is the safety around it, and the second thing is what about the stimulation and, mm. and sleep habits? So in terms of the safety around it, I think from ten months old, it's absolutely fine to add in some some toys, but. I would say that unless he's a really good sleeper, I would still keep the sleep space only for sleep equipment. And so that's, you know, kind of a sleeping bag and a doo-doo blankie only, or if it's a doo-doo toy, so like a bunny, like my my daughter's was a bunny, then it's a bunny. So that's absolutely fine but not to throw in a whole lot of toys. That would be my recommendation. However, and you know, this is always when we talk about sleep, if you've got a good sleeper, you can actually change everything up. You do not have to follow any rules. So if he is going down at seven o'clock in the evening and waking up at six o'clock in the morning, then by all means, pop the toys in. There's no reason you can't. And on that note, maybe you could share with us how 10-month-old Max is sleeping. Well, he was a good sleeper, Meg. (laughs) And that leads me on to
2: my next point. (laughs) I don't really know what's going on because, and it's only really been, I think my gut is telling me it's, because of the change you know going to London, he was in our room, and then there was a lot of the huge amount of stimulation. I mean yesterday was the first day when we were back, and he was exhausted. I had to put him down kind of his first sleep, I put him down after two hours, and usually he's going to sort of two and a half, maybe even two forty five hours in the morning, but he after two hours he was just besides himself, but he is he was waking in London every night he woke at sort of four twenty in the morning and would not settle unless he was given a feed, which at 4.20 I thought, okay, fine. fine. Spot on. But last night he, well, one thing that started happening is he started waking in the night and he cries out, sometimes not even awake. His eyes are still closed and he's rolling around and he will be crying out as though something awful has just happened in his dreams. It's like he's really scared. Mm -hmm. If he can't find one of the dummies or his comforter, he will eventually wake up and then he'll be really upset. And last night at Mm -hmm. about one o'clock in the morning, he was, I felt... It was a, he was really scared in my arms. Mm. He was like looking around, his eyes were really wide. Mm. <laughs> he was sort of doing that mm. noise and I could mm. not calm him. I took him out of his room. Was he awake? He was awake then, yeah. Okay. I'd left him a little bit. I'd gone in, put the dummy in his mouth, given him his comforter back and he kind of started to resettle. But then suddenly he just went and he was awake. My husband went in, I went in. We tried all sorts of different things. I tried just sitting in the chair, rocking him. We tried just putting our hands on him. Mm. but mm. he was distressed and the only we gave him cowpox i thought maybe his his tooth mm. is cuz mm. he's due a tooth he's got one of the mm. pair, so i thought maybe it's that tooth and nothing 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 kind of settled but then 20 minutes after that we had it all again and this went on for about an hour and eventually i just gave him a bottle and he mm. went straight down to the rest for the rest mm. of the night but yeah. he was so distressed it was a different cry But Mm. it's been these crying out in the night that Mm. I've just Mm. been getting progressively worse.
1: Okay, so, so two things about this. The first thing is, what are his day sleeps at the moment?
2: He's doing one in the morning and then one uh, sort of dirty till three and
1: that's it. Okay, perfect. So that's spot on. So for everybody else, your cusp age happens at nine months, which is where you go from three sleeps to two sleeps. And very often babies, if you don't make that change for them, will start to wake up very early in the morning or have long patches of, of wakefulness in the middle of the night. So that was that was why I wanted to know, that we were on the right sleeps. And so that is, first of all, correct. What you've done, you've dropped a sleep, you've dropped that late afternoon sleep. I think actually in our last podcast, when we were chatting, we were starting to alternate days and you know intermittently start to drop that that late afternoon sleep. So he's done that spot on. Is his morning sleep an hour or 45 minutes, the first sleep?
2: It varies. Sometimes it can be the longer, sometimes he'll do an hour and a half in the morning and then he'll do an hour in the afternoon. Sometimes he'll do an hour in the
1: morning and then he tends to do kind of an hour and a half in the afternoon okay so that's spot on so th- and then that's absolutely fine doesn't matter which way around they do it that's absolutely fine because as we get closer to a year uh, uh, 12 to 14 months is the next cusp stage. where we'll drop from two to one sleep and then it's fine because we just merge those two sleeps as one and and we'll uh, we'll cope with that when we get to it so the other reason why little ones have these little kind of terrors in the middle of the night is actually associated with the fact that you've done the right thing and that is so let me explain that to you so there's two reasons why little ones wake up in the middle of the night and do the like Scream like out loud, like yell, and then seem very upset afterwards. So the one is nightmares. Nightmares involve imagination where there's actually been a dream. So so that would be where they've actually seen something or heard something. And it's usually something that's been scary to them. And that only ever happens once little ones have got imagination. And imagination, by nature of what it is, is linked to language. So as imagination erupts, language erupts. And as language erupts, imagination erupts. And so we tend to see imagination only really coming from about 18 months old. So, when they're starting to be able to speak in, in just more than sentences or understand quite a bit more. So, highly, highly, highly unlikely that little ones under 18 months of age are having nightmares. However, they do have night terrors, and night terrors are different. Night terrors are when there's a sensory experience that they've experienced, and it usually is associated, interestingly, with overtiredness. And so, what a classic night terror looks like is that they, they scream, you go in, They're fast, they're not awake, they're not asleep, they're almost in this horrible zone and they're just screaming and they're inconsolable. And he's not doing that. But it could be that the initiation of why he's waking up when he does that scream out loud is actually a little bit of a night terror. And night terrors come because they are overtired and he could be a little bit tired because we've done the cusp age. We have dropped from three sleeps down to two sleeps, which as we know, if he's waking at three o'clock in the afternoon and he's going down at seven, it's a very long awake time. And so we're not going to put back in that late afternoon sleep because A, we can't and B, Mm -hmm. it's going to wreck his nighttime sleep. But it it is linked then with having these little kind of night terror episodes. So it's kind of typical and normal. Um, It's how you handle it that's important. Mm -hmm. The first thing is that in general, just ignore if you can. Like if it's just a scream out loud and like a little bit of a sob, see whether or not he'll settle. If he won't go in and then use deep pressure, that's the best strategy. Um, so just putting your hands on him and just shushing him with your hands on him. And then if you can't, obviously picking him up. And then if he does get to a point that he needs a feed in that process, preferably water so mm. preferably not milk because the milk is just it's just another habit to break which we don't really need to get into mm. having said that the four twenty in the morning is absolutely fine to give milk so I don't know if that's helpful when you uh, yeah consider I wondered
2: if part of it was when he was doing those when he first started doing those scream outs I'd maybe over responded and so now mm. it was a habit where he kind mm-hmm. of wakes up and thinks okay mommy's going to come in so mm-hmm. i'll just wait and now i've kind mm-hmm. of been my own worst enemy i mean last night was the first time it's been right in the middle of the night and you know we mm-hmm. do have these nights every now and again where in the middle of the night it happens they do. you know i hear people saying oh yeah my baby sleeps through the night and i think well technically max does but if that's only when there's absolutely nothing wrong, like there's no teething, there's no this, yeah. there's no that. And that's yeah. not that often.
1: <laughs> so it's such a brilliant point that, you know, I mean, first of all, sleeping through the night is a misnomer because no baby in the whole world, not a single baby sleeps through because they might self-soothe, but they are waking. So so that that's first first point out there. No baby sleeps through the night. They're all roused. They all wake up. But the good sleepers put themselves back to sleep and nobody knows that they woke up. So therefore we think they're sleeping through. So that's the first thing. The other thing is, is that sleep really is terribly higgledy-piggledy. It does get affected by everything, whether it's a worm infestation at two years old, an eye, a slight iron deficiency at seven months, separation anxiety at nine months, a holiday in London. It, it just, I mean, the list is, it's never ending. There's so many factors. The critical thing, and, th- and this is the big difference, is that you don't want to set yourself up for long-term habits. And that means the ultimate putting themselves to sleep has to be done by them, whether they are 12 weeks old, so from a little age, or whether they are three years old, they need to be doing whatever they, however they're getting to sleep needs to be the way in which you expect them to do it in the middle of the night. So if you're lying next to your baby at three years old, your toddler at three years old and expecting not to come through to you in the middle of the night, well, you're smoking your socks because the reality is they're going to expect the same thing. So, you know, I think the principle is what you pretty much what you've said, you know, expect it not to always be perfect, but always maintain that the last little bit must be done himself. So if he needs a little bit of a feed, make sure that he is settling himself, that he is awake and preferably obviously no feeds before 4am because otherwise there will be more, you know, there will be yeah. a dependence on eating those feeds through the night. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's been a very rich episode today. We have spoken about everything from um, safety through to sleep and a little bit on behavior as well. And, and we'll be talking lots more about positive boundaries as he gets older.
2: If I could ask one more, because it is done to drive yes. me a bit crazy, He yes. shouts like really impatient shouting that's getting quite bad and I just wondered it feels like he's frustrated because he doesn't know how to communicate but it's very loud I mean I honestly sometimes the neighbors say is everything okay (laughs) (laughs) it's particularly around meal times when he's had enough or or if he's tired so I understand the reasons behind it but I just wondered it's not a pleasant noise, very, very shouty. Mm -hmm. Is there anything around that to manage that? Or do I just let him go or, and also the giving him something when he is making that shouting noise? I don't want to Teach bad habits, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know yeah. if the age that so that's yeah. even a
1: thing. So it's interesting because actually a lot of uh, the principles I'm going to talk about now are actually the way that you're going to deal with temper tantrums later on, as well as you know like like all sorts of behavior things. So always the very first thing is go in with explaining to them how they're feeling, and I loved what you said there because you said it's usually when he's hungry or when he's tired. So you are identifying with the state that underlies the behavior, and that's true reflective parenting, which is reflective parenting is the single most important skill that a parent can have because when you reflect for your child you teach them about themselves you develop their emotional world it's just very very important and actually we've got a course going into the app on good enough parenting which goes in in october so and this will flight after october so do go and have a look for that course on attachment and being a good enough mother It's, it's on good enough parenting so the first thing go in with i think you might be tired or i think you're feeling you've had enough max have you had enough so Give him the words that you are articulating for him what lies behind his behavior, first thing. Second thing is, before you go in with discipline, and I'm not I'm not definitely not saying we're going to discipline this, but certainly in the toddler years, when they're kind of biting or throwing, throwing a temper tantrum, you'll want to potentially discipline them. And we'll talk about positive boundaries later. But before you do that, Go in with distraction because distraction is awesome. And, you know, you've actually said that that's what you do. You kind of, um, you know, pick them up, tra- ch- change the space, move on to something else. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. So the first thing is reflect. The second thing is distract. And then the third thing, if it's really a behavior that you don't want to encourage and you have gone in on an emotional level first and you have gone in with distraction and they've still continued, then you can do an extinguishing behavior, which is something like ignoring them. So saying to them, no, we don't do that. And then standing and walking away, and walking away from a little one is a very very strong signal that I don't want to engage with that. And so you know, if he's sitting on the floor and, and you've you've taken care of everything else, you can pop him on the floor where he's sitting and say, "No, Max, we do we, there's a no, we don't make that noise." And then you know, kind of walk away a little bit, I and mean, he'll come after you. But he probably will then you know calm down a bit. And what you know, whatever it is that he's been going for, don't give in on that. So if he does the shouting because you've taken away your cell phone or the the TV remote. And don't give in on it if it's something that's a boundary so that's kind of you know it's around consistency it's around reflective parenting which is so important it's around distraction and then it's around extinguishing the behavior by not feeding into it as well
2: yeah because a lot of it is if you're trying to do anything in the kitchen he wants to see what you're doing and so he wants to be in your arms but of course you can't mm. prepare his food with one arm with all the your time yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's usually because he wants to see what's going on
1: Oh, precious boy. Have you got a carrier? Cause I mean, I'm, I I used to just have my kids in a carrier absolutely all the time. I wore my babies nine out of 10 hours because I know they want to see your world. Yeah. That's, I haven't put him
2: in the car. I do have one. So maybe I'll try. Cause I have yeah. often thought I need two hands, but I'm terrified. Yeah. He's going to like go and grab a knife. or something. But maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what Laura well, got right.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, in the in the beautiful African way, you can strap him onto your back. I mean, if you've got one of those carriers that can go on the back, and there are some lovely carriers that go on the back as well. You know, he's up against you, and he's kind of part of what's going on. You can turn him sideways to have a look. I mean, in Africa, that's how that's how mm. our mamas look after our babies. You know, so
2: anything to stop yeah.
1: shouting. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you very anyway, much, Meg. Pleasure, Cass. lovely to chat, and we will connect again in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thanks so Thanks much. much. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye.
0: Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.